reading to you from uh, the Gospel of Mark this morning, the 11th chapter. It says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. <laughs> kind of a strong response, because it says it wasn't the season for figs. I don't know. Maybe he still thought there should be some there. I don't know what the deal was. All, all I know is he shows up. He wants something to eat. There's nothing there. And he goes, ah, stupid tree. And he curses the tree. Well, in the morning, as they went along, they come back and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. The whole thing just dried up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. I mean, he was stunned. It was pretty shocking, especially that fast. And Jesus answered him. He said, look, have faith. In God, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. That is the power of faith. Therefore, he says, I tell you, whenever you, what, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I brought a message to you uh, talking about the importance of vision in your life and spoke specifically about the dangers of becoming tunnel visioned in your life. And uh, what happens oftentimes, people who live in the moment oftentimes will do things that are very bad for them. People will act against their own value systems, against their own beliefs, in their, against their own interests because they focus on the moment. If you ask them, gee, do you believe in doing what you're doing? Do you think you should do what you're doing? They will admit freely no. In fact, some of them are shocked and amazed that they even do it. People who struggle with any kind of addictions or bad behavior repeatedly, this is exactly what happens to them. They believe in doing the right thing, but when they get in the moment, they tunnel their vision and they do the wrong thing. And how we need to be careful to keep our heads up, look about, keep everything in perspective. It will set you free particularly any of you who are struggling in repeated areas of your life. Man, quit having tunnel vision. God, widen my vision. Keep everything before you. Then last week, I shared, so what happens when you lift up your vision and you're looking around, but you don't see anything? Because God is doing things in people's lives and doing things that work in your life. We read the story of Elisha the prophet, who, uh, you know, this army had come against him, and the servant, Elisha the servant, was freaking out. Because there's this huge army and Elisha's just chilling. He's fine. And the servant says, how come you're not freaked out? Aren't you worried about this army that's against us? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And all of a sudden, he saw the hillside filled with the armies of God there to protect and bless Elisha. Again, Elisha saw it, but not the servant. And we talked about the importance of praying and saying, God, help me to see what you're doing in my life, okay? Well, today, I want to take it to the next level. This week, I want to talk to you about how to see things that are not there. It's called faith. Now, it sounds like it would be really hard to really, oftentimes when you talk about having faith in God, and some people say, oh, it's too hard. I don't see how you can do it, how you can do it. But the reality is, I believe that 
it's a natural thing for people to see things that are not there. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. God being rooted in faith and seeing that which is not there and making things happen. Human beings in his image, we do it all the time in virtually every area of life. That's why people, for example, dream. When you dream and imagine, you're seeing things that are not yet there, but yet you're filled with hope that those things will come to pass. It's why people set goals in their lives. They might say, you know, I want to get here because they can see this. They're not there yet, but they can see it and they start moving towards that goal. It is a version of faith. It's why business people invest and take risks. Do they want to put their money at risk? Indeed, they do not. Why do they do it? Because they see something. Oftentimes that other people do not see. Those who are very good at it are always seeing things, successful things that other people do not see. That's how they continue to prosper and become more and more successful. It is, in fact, a version of faith. It is why professional athletes, or even non-professional athletes, attempt to do things that have never been done before. Why? Because it's a version of faith. It's so they see something, even though no one's ever achieved it, yet they believe it's possible. It is faith. Human beings are actually prone, believe it or not, to this type of faith, seeing things that do not exist. And when you start to see things that don't exist, all of a sudden it seems to be possible to you. And, and, and you go for it. Uh, I shared this about a year or so ago. I saw this uh, documentary on Star Trek. I don't know how many Trekkies are out there and stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm a Star Trek fan and stuff. And I saw this documentary. It says how Star Trek changed the world. And they were talking to the creators of Star Trek about the world of the future that they had created. And they were asking them, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And they, they said, I don't know. We were just making stuff up. You know, because they just had to make stuff up. You know, it's a sci-fi thing. So they had to come up with ideas and stuff like that. Radical, incredible ideas that no one had ever thought of before. Those of you in the 60s remember watching that. The amazing concept of walking to a door and it just knows that you're there and it opens for you automatically. And you walk in and it shuts behind you. When we all saw that, remember, we all went, ooh. <laughs> Amazingly, almost all of you, if you came through those doors this morning, had that very same experience. You walked up, the door knew you were there, opened up, you walked through it, it's up behind you, you didn't think anything about it. The wild concept of having some little device and going, hey, you guys there? Some of you have those with you this morning, turn them off. <laughs> the idea, remember uh, Dr. McCoy, someone was sick, would take a little dealy bob and hold it over and going, you, 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 and he could see into their bodies. Of course, today we have the very same technology. MRIs and all sorts of imaging devices that allow doctors now to see inside without having to cut anything. And what was amazing is they went to all these people who had invented these incredible technologies that today we take for granted. And they asked them, where did you get the idea for this? And they all said, Star Trek. Because <laughs> they were young guys at the time. Teenagers in college. And they were seeing things that no one had ever thought of before. And because they could see it, they got it in their head. It's a form of faith. And they went to see if they could make it become possible. We are, in fact, people wired for faith. So 
why is it that when it comes to spiritual things and trusting God, people struggle with faith? What gets in the way of our natural propensity to see things that do not yet exist? Well, there are three things that will work against you to keep faith from coming into your life. They are related. Often one leads to the other. I want to take a look at that as we continue in this series of messages. And make no mistake, there is an enemy of your soul out there who... While he has no problem with you coming up with doors opening and closing by themselves, will fight you every way before you can truly experience God moving in your life. Well, the first thing that works against you in faith is fear. We read the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. These three Jewish young men are part of the Babylonian cap- captivity. They're, uh, they, they believe in God. They want to do the right things but they're living amongst pagans. Well, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, this is a guy who's just absolutely in love with himself. He thinks he's fabulous. So he builds this big temp, this big idol of himself right there. And he passed a decree that, I think it was like three times a day, whenever you heard the musicians start to play, Everybody had to get down and bow down before the idol and go, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, second to me, Nebuchadnezzar, blah, 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 blah. And they had to worship this stupid idol. Well, of course, these three Jewish young men would have no part. They weren't trying to cause trouble. They weren't trying to be disrespectful. But it was a line they could not cross because they knew God's word that says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The band kicks in, and everybody's hitting the floor except for these three guys. And Nebuchadnezzar gets really, really angry. And he threatens to throw these guys into a fiery furnace. It's one thing to be killed and thrown into a furnace. It's another to be thrown into it live. And he looked at these guys and said, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. And we read their response in Daniel, the third chapter, where it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, God, the God we serve, is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Woohoo! That's exciting. Proclamation of faith. God will deliver me. I'm not getting thrown in there. Woohoo! But then they go on and says, but even if he does not, ooh, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. The king gets very angry, takes the three guys, brings them by the furnace, and tells his servants make it really hot. I mean, it was hot enough that you'd die anyway, but he wanted he was so angry. He told them to soak it, so they started stoking it. They kept getting it hotter and hotter and hotter. And the Bible tells us that even the people who were the slaves who had to come in and throw more materials in to make it hot, it was so hot that they were perishing just from the heat that was coming off this thing. Men were dying as the king kept yelling, make it hotter, make it hotter! And when no one could get anywhere near closer to this thing, took the three guys and had them tossed in to the fiery furnace. Well, 
After a while, the king wanted to see their charred remains and gloat and put fear in front of everybody. And he looked in, but the three guys were walking around in the fire. This is rather impressive. And he goes, Hochi Mama, look at that. And then they see a fourth guy. He says, he looks like the son of man. Now, we don't know if it was an angel. Some people believe it was actually Jesus who came. But there was someone else walking with these three guys. And the Bible says the king finally freaked out, said, guys, come back out. And when they came back out, the Bible says there wasn't even so much as the smell of smoke on their clothes. What an incredible miracle. And King Nebuchadnezzar relented to the king of heaven and of earth. But what an incredible miracle. How do you get to that place? How do you get to a place of faith where God can rush in and do incredible things? You have to start by shutting down fear. And the way you shut down fear is the way these men did it. They said, look, we're trusting God, but even if God does not show up, even if God does not deliver us, even if we fry like french fries, we will not bow. We will not bend. We will not be afraid. See, you have to be able, yes. You have to be able to look at the worst case scenario in your life. Look it square in the eyes and say, you know, even if that happens, I don't care. Well, that's a hard thing to do. All kinds of people this morning, I'm sure, are facing things that have you very much afraid. You might be afraid that you might lose your job. What's going to happen? What will happen to your home? Some of you are facing physical challenges. The doctor tells you you have a serious disease. Perhaps they've told you you have a life-threatening disease that may, in fact, kill you. How are you going to handle that? You have to be able to look it in the face and say, I don't care. I don't care. Look, as long as you stay afraid of what's coming at you, you can't get to a place of fear. And I'm absolutely confident that when you are able to look at that which frightens you and say, I'm not afraid of this anymore, that it just frustrates the willies out of the devil. Because here he's working overtime to scare you with the biggest monster he can come up with. And everybody's running. And new guy can go, oh, I don't care. It drives him crazy. These are the people that just frustrate the devil to no end. These are the people who are too dumb to know I don't have to be afraid. Praise God, I'm one of those dumb people. We face all kinds of circumstances. I don't have the time this morning, but I've shared with you many, many different stories and we'll continue to share them with you. But of miracles that God has done in Deb's and my life. Times when we were facing the worst of possible circumstances. And when most people would have collapsed in fear and turmoil and been defeated, we saw great miracles happen. But it all started with looking at the worst case scenario and saying, you know, I don't care. God will deliver us, but you know what? Even if he does not, we will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. Because if you let fear govern your heart, you cannot get to a place of faith. And the miracle is when you shut fear up, 
Then all of a sudden a vacuum is created and that's when faith starts rushing in. You will find yourself seeing that which does not exist. And I'm absolutely convinced it does exist and miracles come in your life. It's called the power of faith. But you have to start hushing, hush, that fear that you're looking at. I don't care what fear you're facing today. You've got to look it straight in the eye and say, I don't care. I don't care. You say, that's hard, Pastor. Yeah. You might shed some tears. You might struggle for a few days. But at some point, you have got to get to the place where you look at it and say, even if God does not deliver me, even if God does nothing, and I am faced with this end, I don't care. Look, people, the worst thing that can happen to us is we die and we go to heaven. How horrible is that? That's the worst thing that can happen. You say, well, I don't want to die. I'm right behind you. But it's still the worst thing that can happen. Now, the next thing that also gets in the way of these three things, and one tends to lead to the other, is anger. When things start going wrong, people tend to get mad and when anger rushes in it starts to blind you you can't see what God is doing and you can't experience faith we read about it in numbers the 20th chapter there's many examples of it in the bible <laughs> more, more time than more, more than we have time to share that's for sure but we read it says now there was no water for the community this is the children of Israel they've come out of Egypt God has done incredible Miracles. I mean, the kind of miracles you and I would pay big money to see. I mean, we, everybody wishes, man, why doesn't God show up and just do this, that, and the other? Because if God would just show up and just zap across the sky, everybody gets saved. Oh, everybody would get saved. No, they don't, actually. We see this throughout the Bible, even in Jesus' time. The people who killed Jesus, by the way, who ones who saw him raise people from the dead, it made him mad. They don't always respond in faith. Here these guys had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They bore the physical labor of an entire nation. They built pyramids and they, everything that was done to help prosper the nation of Egypt. They had to do. They had no choice. They were the slaves of the nation. God hears their cry. He sends Moses, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, I ain't letting them go. One plague would come, another plague would come, another plague would come. Finally, they couldn't take it anymore. And they said, okay, get out of here. They come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. Go back, get those slaves. God opens up the Red Sea. They cross across on dry ground, closes back up on top of the invading army. These guys would wake up in the morning and bread was on the, on the ground. Sweet bread. It's called manna. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to do anything. They saw miracles constantly. But when they get mad, they couldn't see anything anymore. So there's no water for the community. They're mad. There's no water. What the heck? Should be water. Now you can imagine if you're someplace and there's no water and your children are crying and there's no water. Why is there no water? I don't know why there's no water, but there's no water. The people gathered in opposition to Moses and to Aaron, the two leaders. And they quarreled with Moses. And said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. I wish we were dead. 
I wish we were dead. There's no water. You're really thirsty when you wish you were dead. Why did the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place that has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates? There's no water to drink. Despite the incredible miracles that God was doing daily in their lives, when anger kicked in as a result of difficult circumstances, they couldn't see anything good that God was doing. Couldn't see anything good that was God was doing. In fact, their anger at their circumstances caused them to become extremely negative. What causes people to get negative? They're getting mad and they can't see what God is doing and they get negative and everything's wrong and this isn't right and that's not right and stop, 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 and criticize everything. So what happens when anger comes in? It robs you of faith. What makes people angry when things don't go well? And look, people, pain and suffering is inevitable in life, even in the life of people of faith. I think people have gotten this idea that as long as you believe in Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. Hello, what are you? This is a false nonsense thought. Of course there's hard times, even for people of faith. Jesus never said, if you believe in me, life will be great, nothing, no problems will come your way. If anything, he told us the opposite. He said, in this world you will suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm on your side. I'll be with you everywhere you go. We do a Wednesday night Bible study every Wednesday night. We've been studying the life of David. We just finished the life of David. This is the David who killed the Goliath, you know, David and Goliath. God was with him. He wrote the Psalms. He was a musician, full of praise and everything. And You would think David had a fabulous life, that everything was good because God was with David. But when you read this life of David, it's stunning. I mean, you read a couple of chapters, a chapter and a half, David shows up on the scene, he kills Goliath, everybody says, woo! And like a chapter and a half later, he's running for his life because Saul is trying to kill him. And in fact, for the rest of the book, David is running for his life. His life is a living hell. He's miserable, constantly running, constantly under persecution. Finally, Saul dies and David becomes king. And they celebrate and everything's great for a couple of chapters. And then he's running for his life again as his son now rebels against him and tries to take over the kingdom and does take over the kingdom. And David now is running for his life. I mean, when you read the story of David, most of it is, ah! There's a few, ooh, this is good, this is good. And the rest of it is, ah! Things were going horrible in his life. But yet here's a man who God is with the whole time. And as David said, God, oh Lord, you have delivered me from all my troubles. Why would he say that? Because he had a lot of troubles. You know, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to have to have a miracle. Right? The minute we need a miracle, everybody freaks and cries and gets mad. <laughs> Do you want a miracle? Yes, but I'm mad that I have to have one. Come on, people. Now we are about to enter a period of, just, of adjustment here at Celebration Church. And it's going to cause some pain in our church. While we have been blessed beyond measure here, and our church is doing, compared to so many others, fabulously well. My brother Eddie, bless his pee and heart, he has a church less than half the size of ours, and they are really going through it. They just had laid off five people 
You know, I mean, these guys are really hurting. Churches, I don't know how many of you saw the article in the paper uh, about a week ago about all the churches locally who are really suffering. It was a front page story, the big headlines, church is suffering because of finances. Well, while we have been very, very blessed, it is starting to catch up to us. And even though we've had this wonderful 135 program and it was such a blessing and great, the reality is the weekly offerings are just down significantly from where they were a year ago at this time. You have to adjust. We believe it's not because people don't love this church. We just think it's the economy catching up with us. If you give according to your uh, uh, ability and according to your income as you should, and that income goes down, the offerings go down. So we have to make adjustments. And everybody gets that. You know, when I first announced this two weeks ago, I said, we have to make some cuts. Everybody smiles. Yeah, we get it. Because I said, of course, you haven't heard what the cuts are yet. <laughs> because the reality is when we start cutting something you don't like, you're not going to like it. And keep in mind, folks, we don't just goof around around here. Everything we do is intentional. Everything we do, we do for a reason. Every person who works for us is there because we value who they are and what they do and what they bring into the kingdom of God. But the financial realities are the financial realities and we're going to have to make some tough decisions in the days and weeks to come. And it will cause some pain and chances are there will be people who will get negative. I would love to say that won't happen, but I've been at this too long, and I know, and it is part of human nature. Uh, but let me encourage you. When you hear people starting to go negative, and I say when instead of if, because <laughs> I know people, rather than freak out at them or get angry at them, or you know, you got to be careful, because if you read the story with Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel, those guys got so mad, and it made Moses and Aaron mad, and those leaders got mad, and they missed God, and it caused them all kinds of trouble. That's why Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of this one event. You know, anger could spread quickly. Rather than feeding off of that, stop and start sharing with them and reminding them of the miracles God is doing in the people's lives in this church. As you look around, so many of you, a lot of you are fairly new to this church, a lot of you have seen real miracles. Some of you, just in the last few months, God has done incredible things in encouraging you and blessing you and strengthening you. How many of you, I can't see all the other campuses, but how many of you here would say, you know, in the last few months, this church has had a real impact in my life? Let me see your hand. You know, this is everywhere. Tell the story. Repeat the story. The more you remind people of what God is doing, the more it cancels the frustrations and the fears and will bring a positive spirit this too shall pass this too shall pass you know we're going to come out on the other end God is not dead he's not even sick he doesn't even have the swine flu <laughs> he hugs people all the time doesn't even worry about it alright they're small adjustments but they will touch again if we don't touch an area you love you'll be happy as a pea in a pod we touch somebody or something that you love passionately at this church, it might frustrate you. Don't let it cloud your vision so you can't see what God is doing. Don't let it cause you to forget all the wonderful things God is doing. We will get through this. We will be fine. I'm going to invite all the ushers and musicians to come and get ready as we prepare for communion. Now, I, I told you there were three things that can destroy faith in your life. 
I've only mentioned two so far, fear and anger. I'm about to tell you the next one, which is the biggest and nastiest one of them all. But you'll have to come back next Sunday to hear it. Does that make you angry? Don't get angry. We're now turning our attention to communion. This is every Sunday. We stop at this point in our service after the message and turn our attention to the cross. This is the most significant point of faith for any believer. Christianity, everything revolves around the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without his sacrifice on that cross, it would be impossible for us to know God. It would be impossible for us to experience forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And when he died on that cross, he took our punishment. He took what he did not deserve so you and I could get what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness for our sins. Do you know this wonderful God in your life? You know, Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, they've got to learn and study and meditate and say prayers over and over and over again and do disciplines and, and go to the services and, and do these things year after year after year after year in hopes of touching God. Christianity is unlike any other religion in that true Christianity starts with you touching God. You may not know much anything. You may not know the Bible. You may not know why you're even here today. You may not know how to get home. But you can experience God right here, right now. That is the power of the cross when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. If you're here this morning, if you're willing to turn away from the wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can experience God this morning. You can take your first steps of faith today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. And I'll surrender myself to you. Amen.